Open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 3. Just love you guys so much. I love, I love being your pastor. I love every moment that we can celebrate together. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. One of the things I do to start each year, uh, I did this year, is to revise my life plan. If that sounds impressive, don't be impressed. Like I lived 50 years without one. And so now at this season of my life, I realize the importance of, of trying to do some things on purpose. So I have a life plan that I continue to, to look at and try to uh, live according to. Um, I followed a book called Living Forward. And, and in the book, uh, to make a life plan, step one is to write your own eulogy. And if that sounds gloomy, it is. I mean, it, it is. I, I wrote my own eulogy. Now, I've done funerals, you know, for a living for 25 years, but to write my own eulogy was really pretty difficult. Just to think about what, you know, what would people say about me, you know, at my funeral? I'm gone. My life is over. What, what, what will the words be? You ever thought about that yourself? Like, what, what would people say about you? Uh, at, at, at the funeral, you know, when, when your life is over. Uh, I love the old story of the three old men that were sitting around uh, eating breakfast, drinking coffee, and talking, and, and this topic came up. Men were just saying, you know, what, what do you think they'll say about us? What do, you, what do you want them to say about you when you're dead and gone at your funeral? So they sipped and thought about it, you know, because men do that. They drink coffee and think. And so the first man said, I would want somebody to say about me that, that I was a good neighbor, and made a good contribution to this community. All the old men said, that's good, that's good, that's a good one. They sipped and they thought about it a little bit more. Second guy said, I hope at my funeral somebody will say that I was a good dad and a good grandfather and that uh, I left a legacy and a good example for my children and grandchildren to follow. And old men are like, that's good, that's a good one there, that's good, that's good. And they'd sip and think. And then the third guy said, you know, at my funeral... I really hope somebody walks up to the casket and says, look, he's moving. <laughs> uh, that's mostly funny because if, if you don't know how death works, let me explain it to you. Dead people don't move. Dead people don't move. Which brings me to Easter. Because when I say dead people don't move, this is the wonder and the mystery and the magnificence of the message that we get to proclaim and celebrate today. There is one. There is one who faced death and then moved. You understand? Jesus is his name. Jesus, the son of God. Jesus who lived as a human life, died a human death, deader than four o'clock, dead as anybody who's ever been dead, in the grave three days, and he moved. Understand, he came back from that. And this is what we celebrate. Easter changes everything. If there is that kind of power available, if there is that kind of hope on the other side of death, then this is the good news that we proclaim. Now, Easter, as you know, involves a story. It's a story of women who go to the tomb. They find the tomb empty. The angels speak. The angels say, why are you looking for someone who is alive among the dead? You know, the, the angels say, he's not here. He's risen. Disciples run to the tomb. They find the grave closed, but the tomb is empty. But, but more than that, Jesus begins to appear. Jesus, the living Jesus. I don't mean like a ghost. I don't mean a memory. 
I mean, Jesus would appear, like on the other side of a locked door, he would just appear. He had that kind of power, but it was still a body you could touch and feel and, and hold on to, and he could eat a meal with you. He could make your meal. I mean, Jesus was alive, fully alive, and, and this is the story. And if you think it can't get bigger than that, it gets bigger than that. Because that is just the display of power that we're talking about. His death, his resurrection. His resurrection makes so many things possible for us. There's so much on the other side of that good news. And this is what Peter proclaims and what I get to celebrate with you today. So I'm not going to do the Easter story, the women at the tomb. Uh, I'm going to talk about what Peter talks about on the other side of resurrection. What Easter makes possible. Let's take a look at it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. This is what the Word of God says. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him now. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your soul. If you're wondering what is on my wrist here, uh, y'all, it's a magic band. Y'all know what these are? Like I didn't. It's from, it's from Disney, the Magic Kingdom. It's a magic band. Pretty awesome. Now, in, in, in uh, full disclosure, I've never been to Disney. I never really wanted, I, mean, I know some of you are going to kick me off the stage for this. I never really wanted to go. Like, all the way to Florida, I like Florida, but... But I like Florida for other things. I don't want to just stand, you know, in a mob of people, herded like cattle, you know, stand in a puddle of my own sweat and wait in line for things. That just never sounded like anything fun to me. But now they say if you go to Disney, what you have to do is get one of these magic bands. Now, now listen, y'all, this, this, is, this is the real deal. This one was Jason Dunbar's, because as I said, I've never been, but this is what they say. Like with this magic band at the Magic Kingdom, if you stay in one of the hotels like on the resort, then this band, first off, is the key to every door. Like you don't have to have a room key, you don't have to carry nothing. This magic band will magically open all the doors. All right, now I'm listening. Tell me more, right? So this magic band, listen to this, it is magically connected to your credit card. So while you just walking around Disney World, it is magically sucking money out of your bank account. Like, true story. It does. And since this one belongs to Jason Dunbar, I could go to Disney and suck money out of his bank account. Now I'm thinking Disney. Magic Kingdom. 
It does, y'all. You just go through the restaurants. You don't have to pay any money because your magic band takes care of it. Loving that. Yeah. Also, you can load what they call fast passes on the magic band. Y'all know about fast passes? Remember how I said I didn't want to go to Disney because I don't want to stand in a line? All the kids whining, all the husbands crying, I mean, melting down. I mean, who needs that? I don't need to stand in a line like that just to shake Mickey Mouse's hand, every kid in America in the line. I don't need that. But with a fast pass, you get to skip the line. You just get to walk past every kid in America, shake Mickey Mouse's hand, ride whatever you want to ride. I mean, fast passes all of a sudden make Disney sound good to me. And did I mention, I never, like, my son never went. I mean, y'all think I'm a horrible father. I probably am. My son, we never told him about Disney World. <laughs> but the magic band, you know, it makes me think, you know. Like, I want one of these for my whole life. A magic band, like, can you imagine, like, in your life? Like, what if there was a, a magic band for marriage? Awesome. A magic band for raising, no, a fast pass for raising teenagers. Awesome. You know, just kind of bypass it. You know, come back when you're 21. You know, that, that sort of thing. That would be awesome. A fast pass for like, like if you could have given me a fast pass for the coronavirus a year ago, I would have taken it. I would take you up on a fast pass for COVID, um, but y'all like a fast pass for, for chemotherapy. I mean, you understand what I'm talking about? If, if, if there was any kind of magic band for my life. When we talk about the Easter story, it sounds like Jesus had a fast pass for death, right? Because Jesus is crucified. Jesus dies. I mean, he's dead. The Roman soldiers were professional executioners. It's their job to put him to death, and they could lose their life if for any reason they failed. So understand, they made sure he was dead. He was dead. When he came off that cross, put into the grave, that man was dead. Jesus was dead. In the ground for three days. But three days, did I tell you, dead people... They stay dead. They don't typically move. But Jesus is the one, the only one, the Son of God, the God-man, the only one who faced death and comes back. Like he's got a fast pass somehow. Like somehow he can just, you know, like bypass all the death and decay and just come back to life. That sounds amazing. And that's the power that we're talking about of the resurrection. That's the power of the gospel, the power that we celebrate today at Easter. So if Jesus has that power, that kind of power, that fast pass kind of power, you could say, then, and if he's offering me that power in my life, now I'm interested. Is that what we're talking about? Like some sort of fast pass, some sort of magic band for my life? Actually, Disney has a magic band, a fast pass, so you can sort of skip all of the pain and bother and a disappointment of the day, but I just say the truth, um, the Christian life doesn't have a magic band or a fast pass or that's not what we're talking about here. What are we talking about? Well, in this passage, Peter talks about two things that come on the other side of resurrection, two things that come because God has raised Jesus from the dead. The first one is in verse 3, and I, lo I love this so much. Verse 3. 
All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy, his great mercy that we have been, say the words, born again. We have been born again. The resurrection of Jesus brings the possibility that we can have new life. We can be born again. Now, by this time, as a Christian pastor in the year 2021, I'm fully aware of the fact that that phrase, born again, has been used a lot. You all have heard it all of your lives. Billy Graham wore it out. It's a wonderful phrase. It it describes perfectly what Jesus does. But sometimes when you hear words, you know, all of your life over and over and over, they get sort of emptied of their juice. So I want to try to help you recover what Peter's talking about here when he says, by God's great mercy, we've been born again. What does that mean, to be born again? Because this is a possibility for you. You could be born again. What does it even mean? Well, you may not have experienced being born again, but you've all been born. I know this. You were born. Now, when you were born, somebody else did all the work. You just kind of showed up, you know, after the work was done and you were hungry. And that's kind of how you've been through your whole life, you know, show up hungry. But honestly, birth is sort of an amazing thing. It's amazing because whenever you have a baby, a newborn baby, what you're looking at is possibility. It's all possibility. One of my favorite things as a pastor is to visit the hospital when your babies are born. I love to celebrate. I love babies. I love to celebrate that with you. It was the hardest part of COVID that I couldn't go to the hospital. So honestly, any of you who had babies in 2020, I'd like, to, I'd like you to have a, another baby in 2021 that I can come visit when you have it. I, I missed out on all of that. I'll be honest, though. Um, I love babies. I love your babies, but I never think babies are cute. It's just me. Anybody else like me? I just, you know, I mean, again, my own son, he wasn't cute. I mean, I, they're not. They're not. When my son was born, he was purple and covered with this cheesy mess, you know, and um, he wasn't cute. One whole side of his head was flatter than a board. It still is. That's why he poofs his hair out on this side. I mean, it's flat. He's good looking now, but we spent a lot of money at the dermatologist and the orthodontist. I mean, babies aren't necessarily cute, but, but parents still just look into that bassinet and they just see potential. They see potential. One time, going to the hospital, this couple had a baby girl. And I told you, I love babies. I just don't think they're cute. And this baby wasn't cute, y'all. Um, she looked like she'd been pushed out of one of those Play-Doh machines. Like, she was really long. Like, real, actually, her legs were really long. Like, you know, ooh, like really long legs. And I'm thinking to myself, man, that, that baby looked like a grasshopper. Like, she looked like a grasshopper with her legs this long. But you know what her daddy said? Look at my girl. Look at those long legs. She going to be a basketball player. I was thinking grasshopper. He said basketball player. She's going to be a basketball player. Like he could look at that bassinet and know that. Parents are funny like that. You know, like they're looking at their little boy and he's, you know, laying there in his crib filling his diaper. And what do the parents say? Look at him. He looks so smart. He looks, he's filling his diaper and they're saying he looks so smart. He's going to be a doctor, some kind of doctor. He's really going to be something. That baby's smart. It's funny. And they all said this about you and me. They said we were cute. They looked at us and they said we were going to be ballerinas. 
doctors and football players and NBA basketball players. I mean, when you see a new birth, all you see is possibility. That baby could be anything. That baby could grow. That baby could just, I mean, the the possibilities seem infinite. Then you live for a while. And some of us have lived a while. And I don't know how to tell you this, but ain't nobody now looking at you thinking you're going to be a ballerina. We've all just realized, eh, she ain't going to be a ballerina, never going to be a, you know. And nobody's looking at you anymore thinking, man, he looks smart. No, no, no. It's funny, the longer you live, the more uh, possibility seems to sort of disappear for you. The doors sort of close. And for long you realize you, you don't have all those options if you ever did. So now some of you are in that situation, right? It's like, it's like nobody's ever going to look at you and say, man, he's going to be a good husband because you've had three wives, dude. You know, nobody's looking at you and thinking, oh, man, she, she's going she to make a good wife because, mm, no, as it turns out, you've never known how to love a man. You know, by this point, you've lived and, and you've left so much disappointment in the path behind you. I mean, you've, you've disappointed others and you've been the disappointment and, and the mistakes just pile up. And do you know what I'm talking about? It's amazing to think about the possibility, but that's not what you think about anymore when you look at your life because you've kind of blown it. I don't really know where this path leads for you now, and you don't either. You, you sort of wish... That, that there could be another chance, another opportunity to prove something. But what have you proved with all the chances you've had so far? And I want you to understand all of that when you read these words that Peter uses because Peter knows what he's talking about. He knows what disappointment is. Peter knows what it is to be a man at rock bottom. And so when Peter says, it is by God's great mercy that we have been born again, Peter's talking about something right there that he knows about. He knows about being born again. I said you've been born, but what is possible is that you can actually be reborn. What I'm saying is you can have a fresh start. You. I mean, you. Yes, you have totally blown the life that you've been given, the only life that you have. But do you understand? You can start over. You could still be a different kind of man. Right now, with this woman you're sitting beside, you could have a different kind of marriage. It seems impossible to you. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. It is impossible for you. You've been struggling with these habits, these hurts, these hang-ups for all these years. I'm telling you, you're not going to get sober. You can't do it. If you could have done it, you would have already done it. These possibilities are not available to you but they are perfectly available to Jesus. And this is why we say by his great mercy, we can be born again. You can have possibility. You can have the Lord Jesus just rewrite every single page of your future. You can have a different future. You understand what I'm saying? Born again, this isn't a phrase with all the juice already wrung out of it. I'm telling you, those are the most powerful words you can possibly imagine. And this is what Jesus offers you. A fresh start. You can be released from your past. You can't change your past. You can't erase your past. But you don't have to wear it like a heavy coat into every day of your future. You can be released from it. 
You do not have to live with the guilt, with the shame. You don't have to continue to disappoint. I'm telling you, there is power for you to have a brand new birth. You can start over because of the resurrection, because of Easter, because of the power of Jesus. My goodness, how, how is there any better news? I mean, how can you not hear that and want that? Why would you want to continue living the same life? All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter's talking about what he knows. Let me stop, though. Uh, I know that some of you find this really, really hard to believe. To be totally honest, faith hasn't always come easy for me. I was raised in church and always, you know, taught to read the Bible, but I've just always been a doubter. I just ask questions, and I can, I mean, I, I'm a bottomless pit of questions. I just wonder about things, and to this day, I just wonder about so many things that are in the Bible, so many things I don't understand, so many things that seem beyond me. I, I, I just... I've never found it easy just to step right into faith and, and not bring a little doubt along with, with me. I'm just being really honest. And, and there have always been doubters. A whole lot of doubters that never come to faith at all. You know, there are those who don't believe Easter at all. I'm talking about scholars, like people who just try to explain the whole thing away. And what they'll often say is that the followers of Jesus, once Jesus had died... They wanted to find a way to keep the movement going, keep the movement going. And so they invented the story of the resurrection as a way of, of, of keeping Jesus alive, if, if nowhere else, at least in the memory of believers. So, so then they could say that the movement could continue and Jesus could live in the hearts of believers. And there's a way in which I would say as a believer that Jesus lives in my heart. And if you're a believer, I think you'd say the same thing. There's some truth in saying that Jesus lives in your heart. But can I please make something perfectly clear? It is not that Jesus simply lives on in the hearts of believers. Jesus lives whether you believe it or not. Jesus lives and reigns on the throne with God in heaven. And I'm telling you, that's going to be true whether you ever come around to letting him sit on the throne of your life or not. I mean, this has, in some ways, everything to do with you and nothing to do with you. I mean, Jesus is going to live, and the truth of the resurrection is true no matter how long you continue to doubt it. But I just want you to understand what, for me, is the most persuasive evidence, and it really is pretty simple. It's not an argument or something I read in a book. It's really just, it's Peter. Simon Peter, we've been talking about this man in the making for weeks and weeks here, and it's Peter. You know those dimwits who say the disciples just wanted to invent the story to keep the movement going? What are they, what, what are they talking about? Have, have you read the story? When Jesus died, they scattered like rats on a sinking ship. They weren't sitting around trying to keep the movement going. They scattered. Peter himself went as far as anybody, but standing out in the courtyard, he denied he knew Jesus three times. And the third time, he did it with feeling and four-letter words. I'm talking about a believer. Peter, I promise you, never expected to see Jesus again. 
never expected to see them again. And when it was all over, they didn't form a circle and try to figure out how to keep the movement going. They scattered. It was over. The movement died when Jesus died. But then we have Peter. Some years later, writing these words, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, something happened. Something happened when Peter had hit rock bottom, abandoned all faith, never thought he'd see Jesus again. Now we have Peter praising God as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Something happened. It's a transformation in this man. And do I need to tell you, people don't ordinarily change. They don't change easily. They sure don't change for nothing. It takes some sort of supernatural power to change a man, especially the kind of change we're talking about here. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Peter knows about being born again. He knows about that transformation. He's not the same man. He's not the same man. I mean, he is the same man, but he's not the same man who stood in that courtyard and said, I said, I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know that man. I mean, suddenly, Peter's different, dramatically different. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Those are the words he uses right there. Do you understand that about two or three years after Peter writes those words, Peter is going to die for those words. He's going to die for those words. If Peter ever would have just simply said, okay, it never happened. I'll stop saying it happened. Jesus never, ever came back. I mean, if Peter would have ever just took that back. But Peter would never take that back. He could never do anything except be a witness to what he had seen and heard. And he saw Jesus die, and he saw Jesus alive. And until the day he died, he said, God raised Jesus from the dead. I saw him. And Peter died for that. So it doesn't take a genius here to understand that nobody dies for something that they know is a lie. If Peter made that up with the other disciples just to keep the movement going, he wouldn't die for a lie. People would only die for something that they know to be true. Peter dies for those words. He dies for those words, God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. I mean, it's the transformation in a man like Peter that honestly makes a believer out of me. They saw him dead. They saw him alive. So Peter's a man who experienced that new birth, that second birth. Jesus offers the same thing to you, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. But, but that's not all. I said there are two things, right? Verse 6. So be truly glad. Be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, right? So now Peter's talking about true joy, wonderful joy. The resurrection brings true joy, wonderful joy ahead. And I know some of you right now are thinking, yeah, Pastor Tim, uh, I don't really, I don't trust people that are always happy. You you look like that? Like anybody who's just always glad and happy, you know, you know, wonderful joy ahead. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you know, I've heard that before, you know. I heard that from the preacher, you, you know, who then took all the money from the church and disappeared, you know. Anybody preaching, you know, happiness and joy and you know, that, that you, you got that's not who Peter is. I mean. I said that Peter's, Peter said there are two things that come out of the resurrection. Honestly, I, I think if you read closely here, there are three. 
He says that it makes possible this new birth. He says that it makes possible this joy, this true joy, be truly glad, wonderful joy. There's joy, but the third thing, y'all, you just can't miss it. It's going to be problems. It's going to be trouble. It's no fast pass around the pain and bother of this life. Do you understand? I mean, there's going to be problems. So when Peter says, be truly glad, he is in no way just trying to, you know, sing a happy song for people who, you know, actually read the news and know what's going on. I I just remind you, Peter is writing this message to Christians who are just beginning in the Roman Empire, just beginning to suffer persecution. It's just beginning to start. It's going to get much, much worse, but they're beginning to feel uh, the stare of the neighbors who are beginning to become suspicious of their faith, and the persecution is going to become more intense. Peter will die. Many of them will die. Peter's very, very realistic about the circumstances of life. There's no fast pass around that. So what does he mean? Be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. What is he talking about? I mean, the year we've just come through, I mean, some of us right now, you you can't watch the news without, without taking an extra pill because it looks like the whole world is going to hell so fast. I mean, so fast. There's so many things wrong with this world, so many things broken, so many things just off. How can you be truly glad with everything that's going on? There's a pastor and author named Mark Buchanan who tells the story of having preached a wedding on the sunshine coast of British Columbia. I don't know where that is, but it must be beautiful. He said it was beautiful. The wedding was beautiful. Preached the wedding, reception begins. It was an outdoor reception underneath the setting sun, overlooking the coast. It was just beautiful. The food was amazing. You could smell the shrimp coming off the open fire. I mean, everything about it was just glorious. And pastor ended up sitting down by this young guy. He was a university student. Turns out he was a philosophy major. Um, so they began to talk, and the young man was very respectful, very, I mean, nice-looking, good kid, talking to the pastor. And then finally the the young man said, uh, Pastor, can I ask you an honest question? Do you really believe all of that religious stuff that you spouted at that ceremony? Pastor Mark said, every word with all my heart. Kid said, yeah, Pastor, I used to. I I used to believe all of that, but I, I don't anymore. So Mark said, well, explain to me what happened to your faith. What, what changed your mind? The kid said, well, I began to study world religions, begin to think a little deeper and begin to think for myself. And I've just decided that I don't need religion. I don't need any sort of pie-in-the-sky reward to make sense out of this life. I believe, this is what he said, I believe that life itself justifies existence. That sounds like something a philosophy major would say. I think life itself justifies existence. I think that life has its own meaning and its own rewards baked in. Pastor Mark said, I think I can understand why you would say that. You are sitting here tonight, young, with really good health, underneath a beautiful starry sky, watching the sun as it burns the western sky over the coast. You're eating exquisite food. 
I can understand why you would believe that. But what I have a hard time thinking about is trying to explain your philosophy as how life has its own reward. I'd have to explain your philosophy to my friend Richard that I met in February. When I met Richard, he was 44 years old, but he looked to be in his 60s. He had been living alone on the streets since he was 12. At the age of 12, he was already a junkie. He was completely addicted to drugs. And he turned to male prostitution to support his habit. That was his entire life. At some point, he contracted AIDS. His body itself became so diseased and honestly, his face just so ugly that nobody would pay to have him anymore. So he had nothing. Pastor Mark met him in February, bought him a bus ticket to Calgary where his mother lived. The hope was that this mother would take him in, although she hadn't seen her son in over 15 years. He was getting on the bus to go see if his mother would take him in. And his last words to the pastor were, my whole life has been a mistake. My life has been misery. Pastor Mark said, I would have a hard time explaining your philosophy to him. Or my friend Ernie, who married his high school sweetheart and in his 20s started his first company and took off. He had wealth and his high school sweetheart and everything. But as it turned out, they couldn't have children So they adopted three children from Africa and one child from Mexico. And on the very day that the fourth adoption became final, Ernie got the report back from the doctor. He'd gone to the doctor because of some blurred vision and dizziness and some tingling in his fingers. And the report came back that Ernie had advanced multiple sclerosis. So Pastor Mark said, that's that's the thing. I don't understand how your philosophy could ever be heard by my friend Richard or my friend Ernie or any of the number of people that I've known who would never understand what you mean by how life itself is its own reward. The young man said, yeah, pastor, you know, that's, that's good. I'm going to think that over and I'm going to get back with you. Well, y'all know he didn't get back with him, right? I mean, you know he didn't get back with him because that doesn't make any sense. That life itself is its own reward, that life itself has its own meaning just sort of baked in, that doesn't make sense. And that's not at all what Peter is trying to say here. Be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You understand what Peter is talking about here? He's talking about eternity. Eternity, the life on the other side of this life, the life on the other side of death. And what you have to finally at some point recognize is that this life really doesn't have its own meaning and it surely doesn't have its own rewards. None of that makes sense. This life is not like that. This life is broken. This life is often misery. This life never turns out exactly as you would hope because this world itself is so profoundly sinful, so profoundly condemned. Do you understand that you cannot look in this life for your hope. It's not life itself that justifies existence. It's eternity. It's it's eternity. The fact that there is a life on the other side of this, that there is meaning that you haven't yet begun to behold yet, that there is an entire treasure and inheritance that Christ himself offers you. 
Understand what I'm saying? This gladness, this joy that Peter is talking about, it certainly is something that you get to have in this life, but it's anchored in the life to come. It's in the hope, the knowledge, the the living hope, the assurance that Jesus is who he says he is, that he will do everything that he says he will do, and he will keep every single promise That means he will give you a new birth if you ask for it, if you believe. It means he will fill your heart with joy in the midst of whatever circumstances you face. It means that in this life, you will have a hope, a peace, a gladness that this world did not give you and this world can't take away. Ordinarily, dead people just stay dead. They don't move, right? There's one who did conquered death. He comes back with a demonstration of his power. So when he says he's got the power to remove your sin, to release you from your past, to give you an eternal life, he's got the power. But you got to believe. You got to believe. Now, when I say you got to believe, you believe that. That's what the Bible says. You believe that. Whoever believes in him, I mean, believe that he is God's son. Believe that he came for you, that he lived a human life, that he lived a sinless life, but that in the end, all of your sins were placed upon him, and he died in your place. I mean, that's the gospel. He died on the cross for you. He died your death so that you could live his life. And that life he gives you as a gift. You just got to believe that. Now, when I say believe that, you're going to have a lot of questions that still come with that. And, and I'm, I'm with you with that. There are lots of things we'll talk about along the way and questions we may never resolve. But that question, you need to answer. That question of when Peter says, you've got wonderful joy ahead, is that true for you? I mean, can you say that, that you know that, that you know that you know that you know that no matter what happens in this life, on the other side of this life, you have wonderful joy to look forward to? Do you know that? Because if you don't know that, that's one question that you can answer. It's one thing you can know because of Jesus. As I said, it's Easter Sunday, y'all. I'm preaching resurrection. Jesus lives. He lives. But the fact that he lives, it makes so many things possible. I mean, so many things come out of that power. So many things come out of this man who said that he would, and now he's telling you that he will. If you believe. As we say, you believe it and receive it. you got to want Jesus. you got to want a new life. you got to be done with your sin. I'm telling you. You come to him, you trust him, you believe in him. He'll do everything that he says he will. Give you a new person, new life. Not just the life in, in, in this world, but in the world to come. Wonderful joy ahead of you. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Because if you don't, I'm just telling you, trust him. Trust him. Pray with me. Well, Lord Jesus, it it is a big promise that you could make us new, that, that you could erase somehow the stain of sin, that you could make it so that we don't have to lay in bed every single night and uh wrestle with our guilt, with our conscience, with the shame. 
Lord, we continue over and over and over to try and devise ways that we could somehow save ourselves or change our own lives or uh, fix ourselves, Lord. But you help us to recognize that that's just never going to happen. We don't have that power. We don't have that ability, Lord. We cannot change our own hearts, but you can. Lord, I pray for every man, woman, boy, and girl in this house and the sound of my voice, Lord, who just really need to know that there is an opportunity for them to be born again, have a new start, to have a new life of faith, new joy, an ability to be truly glad in the midst of whatever circumstances come. Lord, all of this is possible because of the power of Jesus. Lord, this Easter, I pray that people who've always just heard these as religious words will begin to listen and understand that these are words of life. Lord, those of us who've learned to just sort of dismiss this kind of message, knowing that if we get through the sermon, we don't have to think about it again until next Sunday, Lord, I pray that you will drive this invitation so deep down into their hearts, Lord, that they will find it impossible to tell you no. Why would any of us tell you no? Lord Jesus, just begin to work in hearts. Lord, for those who find it so hard to believe, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would show yourself to them as present and alive and powerful. Whatever they need to see, whatever they need to know, Lord, I pray that you would just bring them to full faith. Lord, I pray that whatever we need to do in these moments, Lord, this final moment of worship, Lord, whatever we need to do to lift you up high, whatever we need to do, Lord, to see that your Holy Spirit has full reign in this house, Lord, let your Holy Spirit have full reign in this house, in every heart. May the only voice being heard, Lord, be your voice. May the power evident in this place be your power so that lives can be changed, so that hearts can be renewed, so that souls, Lord, can be saved for this life and the life to come. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus who lived and died and lives again forever. Amen.